0: So, Jim, can you present
1: your 63-year-old lady? The next patient is a 63-year-old nurse who presented with a polycythemia picture in 2004. Really didn't require much in the way of therapy for several years. I think she had some hydrea along the way. But then when I first saw her a couple of years ago, she was kind of in transfer from another physician. She had massive splenomegaly at that point, Bone marrow showed JAK2 positive myelofibrosis. Her cellularity was very high and the pathologist thought this was compatible with a post-polycythemia myelofibrosis. We started her on ruxolitinib and had trouble with it in terms of getting very much out of it in terms of reduction in the spleen size. Again, her spleen was massive. It's interesting, she was continuing to work full time on a medical surgical unit at the hospital while all this was going on, so she's a very highly motivated, tough person. Eventually, we got to the point where she was having declines in her platelet count, clearly wasn't getting any benefit from the doses of ruxolitinib she could tolerate. And fortunately, we were participating in the PAC-326 trial, and she was put on that research trial and is on procritinib at this point.
0: How long has she been on it and what's happened
1: since she went on it? She started about six months ago and I'd say that she's clearly had improvement. She had improvement in terms of some reduction in her spleen, it's still quite large. And even on CAT scans, the extent of it doesn't look that much. But we can clearly see a reduction in the volume. You might see the roundness of it. In addition, her blood counts have improved. Her platelets have normalized. Her hemoglobin's actually gotten better along the way. And her general sense of well-being has improved. Now, unfortunately, she's developed some problems. She's actually going for a hip replacement tomorrow. And so that's really limited her ability to continue working. But I'd say that she's had a very nice positive response to procretinib.
0: So Ruben, I'd like your take on the entire case. But before you kind of get into it more globally, just to pick up on this last point, what about the patient going for major surgery? You continue the JAK inhibitor?
2: You know, we discussed that as well this morning. And I would say absolutely yes. We have a very extensive practice of patients on JAK inhibitors, on and pretty much every other JAK inhibitor that's been used. You know, the disruption of a JAK inhibitor clearly makes patients feel worse. It does lead to kind of a rebound in their inflammatory cytokines. I don't think that there's a withdrawal syndrome, per se. That phenomenon which was described, I think in retrospect with the global experience, we recognize that in the setting of phase 1 studies, when patients are septic and they stop out JAK2 inhibitor, it's probably a very bad decision because they're actively fighting sepsis and that led to deterioration in those individuals. But in everybody else, they certainly don't feel well when they stop a jack inhibitor. So I think that there's a negative to stopping them if we don't need to. In the setting of elective surgery, of course, their body is undergoing their own amount of physiologic stress. You know, And adding the stress of withdrawing a jack 2 inhibitor, one could be Problematic, but two is probably not necessary. There's really nothing about a JAK inhibitor that really interferes with an individual undergoing elective surgery. It doesn't lead to coagulopathy, it doesn't have another negative effect. So we have had patients who have had their JAK inhibitors through solid organ transplantation, through elective orthopedic procedures, through cancer resections, and kind of everywhere in between. So in general, I've really found that it's not been an issue and probably is preferable to remain on the therapy.
0: You know, I've always been curious about this thing about stopping therapy. Basically, at this point, is it just the idea that when you stop therapy, essentially all the benefit sort of goes away? You know, you're just removing the thing that's inhibiting the symptomatology. Is that the way you look at it, as opposed to sort of a flare of the disease?
2: I think it's more physiologic in that it is having an impact inhibiting that cytokine milieu, and that that cytokine milieu really kind of comes roaring back. I don't think that it's a storm. I don't think, like in other cancers, it's a hypertrophic experience. When we looked at the comfort studies, we did see that people went back to feeling as poorly as they did before, and their spleens grew back, but to their baseline levels, but in a rapid way. So it certainly was not a positive experience, but it did not kind of hypertrophy. You know, we have seen that individuals that have been on second line studies, you know, certainly don't feel well when they have the two week washout that is typical from being on a jack inhibitor to being on another therapy, whether it's a second jack inhibitor or other aspect.
0: When you do stop therapy, Ruben, how do you go about doing it? Do you taper it?
2: All things being equal, I typically do taper it if I have the choice. I can't say that there's a magic taper per se. People sometimes have used corticosteroids. I'm not sure how effective they are for that in particular aspect and that I don't think corticosteroids are exceedingly helpful in really helping these aspects of the disease, but both of those things are things that can be helpful.
0: So Ruben, getting back to this lady's overall global course, can you comment on what's happened up to now and sort of what this patient looked like when you walked in the room?
2: So I'd say that, you know, her course is typical for these diseases that they're long and complicated courses. And again, here's someone who really went from having counts that were too high to now counts that are too few, having evolved really from that polycythemia vera phenotype to those of post-PV myelofibrosis. I mean, indeed, polycythemia vera really is not as benign a disease as some sometimes choose to label it. You know, there are a segment of folks who, are controlled and live out the rest of their lives. But I think if individuals have the disease for long enough, it has a variety of ways of really catching up with you. I'd say she clearly has benefited from therapy with the ruxolitinib. She had improvements to some degree in splenomegaly and symptoms. But now, as others have found, they can be challenged by the cytopenias by receiving an adequate dose with those cytopenias. She's someone who in many ways was an ideal candidate for the procritinib study and seems that she's really had a very nice response.
0: Where do you see things
2: heading in the future for her, Ruben? Well, I would say, again, she's a little older than our patients we discussed before. She's already in her 60s. I think transplant remains an option. But I'd say in patients who are stable and doing well on a JAK inhibitor, particularly in their 60s, transplant is probably most attractive if we start to lose some of that potential benefit. I suspect people like her will continue to be on the therapy they benefit for as long as they're beneficial. I think there's a hope that we may identify that there are other agents we may combine in addition that can further bring us closer to long-term stability or further remissions with the therapy. So as I share with patients, it really is a very rapidly evolving process and many new options forthcoming, like we discussed before, which could be impactful.